All right, uh, here we go. Today's daf is daf Gimel, page 3 in the Hedigim Masechus, but Metziah, we're in Perak Shnayim Eichzin. And we are up to Lema Masnisen Deloi Ki Rabbi Yaisi. Let's say our Mishnah is not following Rabbi Yaisi. Um, the word Lema is 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8 lines from the top of Gimel Amad Aleph. Last, last word on the line, Lema. Now, our Mishnah said, two people walk into a bezin holding on to a talis. What's the halacha? Bezin says each one should swear that they owe no less than half, and we give each one half. Says the Gemara, Rabbi Yaisi would not agree with that. Why not? Here we go. Let's get into this. Let's say the halacha of our Mishnah is not consistent with Rabbi Yaisi. Why not? Because there's an opinion of Rabbi who says, Rabbi says, whenever you have a situation where one person could be a scoundrel, one guy could be a trickster, then you got to wait till Yohan Navi comes. Now, in this case, when two people walk into a bezin, it's very possible one guy picked up the talus and the other guy just grabbed onto the talus right afterwards. He's a total Rama, he's a total scoundrel, he's a trickster. And in such a case where one is a potential strickster, Rabbi Yaisi holds, you wait for Ali Yohanavi to come and you don't give it to anybody. Armis says you divide it. Now this statement of Rabbi Yaisi seems to not be consistent with our Mishnah. Says the okay, Elamai Rabbanon. So what are you going to say? Our Mishnah following the opinion of Rabbanon who argue on Rabbi Yaisi. Kivan Dami Rabbanon, Ashar Yimunach HaTshiyav Ali The Rabbanon say the rest of it is left Ali Yohanavi comes. Hamani Kishar Demei De Sveikale. So they, they would argue and they say that this garment is similar to the case where the whole thing is a shar, the whole thing is considered a uh, remainder, and they would agree that it's not divided either. Hence, in this case, both the Rebbeisi and the Rabbanon would be of the opinion, nobody gets it, and it's not only excluding Rebbeisi, you're going to end up excluding the opinion of the Rabbanon. Says the Gemara, what are you talking about? That's not true. That's, by, by excluding Rabbi Yaisi, we're not also going to be excluding the Rabbana. Now let me explain to you why. Says the Gemara. Says the Gemara. Now, before the Gemara gets into this, I want to explain what circumstances surround the dispute between Rabbi Yaisi and the Rabbana as far as leaving things over until Eliyahu and Navi come. So the case is, where two people, we'll call it Reuven and Shimon, both give money to Yaakov to watch. Or let's call it Isaac. Reuven and Shimon give money to Isaac to, uh, to watch. Okay. Now Reuven gave Isaac $100. Shimon gave Isaac $200. Now it comes time to get their money back. And Reuven claims that he gave Isaac $200. And Shimon claims he gave Isaac $200. And we know for a fact only one of them did. So Rabbi Yaisi, so the Chachamim say that you give each one back a hundred bucks because each one certainly gave you a hundred bucks and the remaining hundred dollars um, you hold on until Yohanavi comes. Rabbi Yaisi argues and he says, no, you don't give anybody any money. You know why? Because then what does the trickster have to lose to claim? See, if you give nobody any money, then the guy who really gave a hundred won't come and try to deceive because he might end up losing his hundred if we give him nothing. But if you're going to give each one back a hundred, then the guy who really gave a hundred and is claiming he, he got two hundred, he's not playing any risk game over here. So says your basically you give nobody anything. So that's the circumstances surrounding the Machlaika Surbasi and the Rabbanas. The Gemara gets into this now. The Gemara says, Hi Mai, 
What do you mean over here? If you want to follow the opinion of the Rabbanon again, Rabbanon say, both of them are claiming the $200. You should give each one 100 because they certainly both gave you that, and the remaining 100 your Isaac should hold on to. Awesome. In that case, we know for a fact that $100 goes to Ruvay, uh, and the other and a hundred dollars certainly goes to Shimon. Amir Rabban, the Rabban say that we should wait and we should hold on to the third hundred dollars until Elio Hanavi comes. But in our case, we do have a possibility to say they both picked up the talis at the same time. Amir Rabban and Pagi Shvuah. The Rabbanon will say you divide it, you split it with the Shvuah. Al Amir Rabbi Yisihi. But if you're going to say our Mishnah is the following dependent of Rabbi Yisihi, Hashdama Hosam Tavade Ikamon Lamar Ikamon Lamar. By the case of the total of $300 being deposited, we know for a fact $100 belongs to each one. Omar Rebbe says, you wait till Yonavi comes. Here, where it's a possibility to say that the garment was picked up, the thousands picked up by one person, how much more so would Rebbe hold that you should put it on hold, put it on the side until Yonavi comes? Says the Gemara, Says the Gemara, Afilu Our Mishnah again, which says two people walk at the bezin holding on to a talis. What do you do? Each one swears they own no less than half, and give each one half. Can follow the opinion of Rabbi Yaisi. Why Hasam? By the case of Rabbi Yaisi, which we described earlier, Vada Ikaramai. One of them is certainly lying. But over here, me Yemar It's not necessarily somebody's lying. It is possible. That they both picked it up at the same time, and Rabbi would agree. Inami, or you could say, Hasam Kanesle Rabbi the Ramai Geichi Delayde. Over there, the Rabbanon wants. Uh, over there, Rabbi wants that you give money back to nobody in order to find him and get him to admit to at least get his hundred dollars back. Right, in order to get any money back, he's going to have to admit that he's lying. But over here, it might say the Isle Delayde. There's nothing for there's nothing for him to lose. Tenach Metzia says the Gemara. This is good for our Mishnah when they find the object. But our Mishnah, again, is not only dealing with a found object, our Mishnah is dealing with the sale. So holding off would get him to admit. We've got to go back to the first answer. Period. Let's pause and understand what's happening. Okay. Quick overview. Okay. Here's the Svara. And this is what we're going to, this is the takeaway from the first half of today's Amud. Chazara. Our Mishnah. Beginning of the Masechta ruled. Two people walk into a Bezdin holding onto a talus. Each one says, it's mine. What's the halacha according to our Mishnah? Each one should swear that they own no less than half and you split it. That's the halacha of our Mishnah. The Gemara today began by saying, Rabbi Yaisi is not consistent with our Mishnah. Now who's Rabbi Yaisi? Where does, what's, what do you mean Rabbi Yaisi? So later on, on Lamid Zion, in this Masechta, there's a very interesting case. And the case was, again, Ruvain and Shimon deposit money by Isaac. They give Isaac money. Ru- one of them gave $100, one of them gave $200. Isaac doesn't remember who gave him 100 who gave 200 Each one is claiming they gave the 200 what do you do? So the Mishnah said, according to the Rabbanon, Isaac should give each one back $100 because they at least gave him that $100. 
And then the third hundred that they're arguing over, Isaac should hold on to until Aliyah Hanavi comes. That's the Rabbah. Until Aliyah Hanavi comes. Aliyah Hanavi. You'll ask Aliyah Hanavi in the times of Mashiach, you'll ask him whose money is this. But if you don't know who to give it to, you hold on to it. The third hundred you hold on to. That's the opinion of the Rabban. And Rabbi Yaisi argues on the Rabban in there. And Rabbi Yaisi says, no. You know what the halach is? Nobody gets anything back. Ruvain and Shimon lose their money. Says Rabbi Yaisi. Why? Because it's Oh, says Rabbi Yaisi, I'll tell you why. Because otherwise, there's nothing in place to stop somebody from trying to lie. See, the liar really gave 100. He wants back 200. He has no, nothing at risk. He's not losing it. Yeah. He, all he has to do is claim 200. What's the worst thing that'll happen? He'll get back his 100 and not the second 100. The best thing that'll happen is he'll, the other guy will give up and he'll even be able to walk away with the second 100. So Rabbi says, I need to make a situation where the Ramai could lose. So you know what Rabbi says? In such a case, nobody gets anything. The Ramai in this way won't start tricking. Because he knows that if, he, if, if we even start to be in doubt over what the halach is, he's going to lose his $100 too. It's not worth the risk. Okay? That's Rabbi approach over there. So now the question is, this approach of Rabbi Yaisi, is it consistent with our Mishnah? Why? Because says the Gemara, initially, Rabbi Yaisi doesn't seem to be consistent with our Mishnah. Because according to Rabbi Yaisi, if two people walk into Bezin holding on to a talus, what should we do? Take it away from both of them. Nobody gets anything. We got to stop the Ramai. Answers the Gemara wrong. Why? Because by the case of a found talus, the Ramai is not going to lose anything. See, by the money that's deposited, if we give them something back, the Ramai is going to lose. Over here, they found an object. So it's a whole different setting. It's, it's a whole different setting. We're dealing with a lost object. We're dealing with a found object. So either way, the guy's got nothing to lose by lying. Either way, that's point A. What about by point B? What about point B, which was, but what about a case where, let's say they both say that they purchased it, okay? So then, says Rabbi Yaisi, also over there, I'll agree with the Mishnah that they divide it. You know why? I'll tell you why. By the case of the deposit, one of them is certainly lying, Isaac knows he got 200 from one and 100 from the other. One of them's lying. When two people walk into Bezin and say, it's mine, you know what's possible? Maybe they both sincerely think it's theirs. They both sincerely think it's theirs. Either they found it at the same time or they bought it. I, I really believe it's mine. It's not for sure that somebody's coming to lie. See, there's, like, we, like we mentioned yesterday, there's many times where people disagree and they just see it their way. In such a case where one person is not definitely lying, Rabbi Yaisi won't necessarily say we need a knas him, we need a fine and give nothing back. We only do that 
says Rebbeisi, when we know for a fact one guy is a scoundrel. If you don't know for a fact one guy is a scoundrel, says Rebbeisi, I agree with Allah and the Mishnah that we should give each one at least half. Bottom line is, Rebbeisi can be consistent with our Mishnah. Beautiful, let's go weiter. Says the Gemara, Bein Rabbanan, Bein Rabbi Whether we found the opinion of the Rabbanan, who says, give each one back a hundred, and hold on to the third hundred. But whether you hold it, he says, hold on to the whole thing. There as far as a Chemini, a storekeeper, who has his pinkish, he's got his, uh, his uh, cash register open. The halacha is, that each one should swear and take, Okay, swear that you picked it up first and go take it. What's the difference in that case? Would we say take it from the owner and set aside the owner becomes the In that case as well, you have a certain ramai. Okay, the question is whether a person owes money to uh, to a storekeeper, and one says I don't owe the money. One says I do owe the money. Here, so Gemara is now just asking on that other Mishnah in Shavuos. Why don't we say that uh, we should knas them? I mean, they said, mm-hmm. The case over there is where the store owner says to the balabas, Listen, I was trying to, to pay for you. What, what do I have to do with your, uh, what do I have to do with your uh, employee? Now, the case is where you have an employer who sends money to an employee. And that doesn't make it the whole way. Or at least the employee is claiming it didn't make it the whole way. And the deliverer says, yes, it did. So, even if he swears to me, I don't consider, I don't trust him. I never hired the guy in the first place. There's no reason why his oath should be meaningful to me. You're the one who trusted him. And therefore, you trust him. Um, by uh, by uh, uh, telling me to go hand it to him, and therefore that oath should be made to you. Now, let's explain this logic. This is absolutely beautiful. Listen closely. This incredible, incredible foundational idea that we, we can mamish apply. You have an employer who sends money to an employee through a third party. We'll call him the storekeeper, okay? The storekeeper says, I delivered the money. Employee claims he never got the money. How could you even have a dispute? Because there's no witnesses. Why is there no witnesses when the guy gave over money? Because the messenger never asked him to have witnesses. Okay? Now, now the shopkeeper could say, who, who does the employee need to swear to when he claims he didn't get the money? Does he have to swear to the shopkeeper or does he swear to the employer? So says the Gemara, he should swear to the employer. Why? Because the shopkeeper could say to the employer who's sending the money, you, you're the one who trusted him all along by not enforcing, not asking me to get witnesses. You trust him. Well, guess what? This guy is going to take an oath. I don't know the guy from Beans. I don't trust his oaths either. You've trusted him till now. You should be the one who he makes an oath to. You should be the one who takes the loss unless an oath is made. Why should I be the one? I never showed any trust in this guy. So whoever's been connected to him first... And so trust and avert should be the one who's responsible uh, in, in this case. And the, the employee says also to the employer, I worked for you. You have to give me a salary 
What do I have to do with the claim that somebody else, that the shopkeeper is claiming he gave me money? Why'd you send it with him? What's God doing with him? Even if he swears to me that it was given, I don't trust him. They both swear. They both swear their opinions and they collect the money from the employer. Okay. Very good. Period. End of that Gemara. Two dots or approximately, call it uh, 12 or so lines from the bottom of Gimel Amar Aleph. Here we go. Tani Rabbi Chia. Rabbi Chia taught us. Mana li biyadcha. I walk over to Yankel and I say, Yankel, you have my money. You have a hundred dollars. That's mine. And Yankel says, what are you smoking? Nothing, no, I know. Witnesses testify that Yankel has $50 of mine. So I claim that Yankel has $100. Yankel says, I ain't got nothing. Witnesses come and say to Yankel, uh, we know that you have at least 50 the is, You got to pay 50 because there's witnesses on 50. What about the other 50? So he has to take an oath. He has to take an oath. Why does he have to take an oath? Again, Yankel has to swear he doesn't know the other 50. Why not? Says the Gemara. Because he's made the bemitzas. He admit, it's kind of like he didn't admit the half, but he's already obligated in half. When you admit the half, you got to take an oath. How much more so if you're busted on half through witnesses, should you have to swear on the rest? Okay. You got the logic? We know when somebody admits to half of a claim, he has to take an oath. The logic over here is if witnesses obligate him in half, how much more so does he have to take an oath? Okay. Now, the tuna, and this was learned as a halacha, where, shnayim ayichzim betalas, two people walking to the holding on to the talas, I'm her name, it's a ziyah, but who each one claims they found it? What's the halacha? They each swear. Vahacha kivan the toughest, they're holding on to the garment, anan sadi, we know for a fact, it's known, Whatever, they're, they're walking into court, so each one has equal possession and equal ownership. We're witnessing that they own it and still the Katani Yishava. And still we say each one has to take an oath. Okay. So what do you see? That when you have witnesses or knowledge, we'll call it, instead of witnesses, that people have a claim on something, it obligates an oath. Says the Gemara, what do you mean? What does Rebchia mean? When he says, the reason why you take an oath is so that your admitting should not be a stronger halacha than witnesses. The Gemara is asking, why I even need a Kabachimer? Why? The Gemara is going to explain. Shlai Taimar, Adal's Piv, who the Rabbi, who the Rabbi Alei, Kid Rabbi. Says Gemara, I'll tell you why I need a Kabachimer. So a person shouldn't say 
that when somebody admits, HaKadosh Baruch Hu puts an oath on him like Rabbah, what do you mean like Rabbah? Let's uncover another layer. Why is it actually that whenever I admit to half of a claim, I come to Yankel with a claim, and Yankel admits to half. Why is it that when you admit to half, biblically you have to take an oath? Why? Says Rabbah, Because there's a status. I say, Yanko, you, I lent you $100. He says, nah, 50 Now, the reason why he's not denying the whole thing is because people don't have such chutzpah. If they actually didn't borrow it, he would have the chutzpah to deny the whole thing. Why is he denying half? There's a good chance he actually did borrow. He's just not so chutzpahdik. He wants to push me off. He's like, yeah, I got half the money now. I'm not, gonna, I'm not going to uh, deny it. But I also just don't have all the money. But he doesn't want to say that. He's trying to like save face. He really wants to deny the entire thing. He doesn't have money to pay back. So why isn't he denying? Because people don't have the chutzpah when somebody else does them a favor to deny the entire thing. Usually what happens is people admit the half, but they truly wanted to deny the entire thing. Again, they can't. It's a psychology. Again, they can't. Why? Because it's too chutzpahdik. So what do they do? They're like, all right, half, half. He said, what? He said, he said, all right, I took a half. Right, part of it, part of it, right? And, and you're, he's just trying to like get out of paying all of it now. Save face. Savar, but the person, the bar was really thinking, I'll pay him half now and I'll pay him half later. The Yomar Achmanus, the Torah says in such a case where you come with a claim against somebody and they, they admit partially, the Torah says, you know what, put an oath on him, on the entire thing, so that we'll get the clear picture about what's going on over here. That's great. Okay? That's great. Now, now based upon this, based upon this, uh, based upon this halacha, says the Gemara, Avohados Edim. That's true when a person admits on his own. Why? Because you have the logic that people don't have the chutzpah to deny a complete loan when somebody did them a favor. But let's say you denied the whole thing. I come to Yanko, Yanko, $100. Yanko never admits. But you know what happens? I bring witnesses. And the witnesses say, Yanko, you owe Tundler at least 50. So Hadas ate them to hachi. You don't have the logic of Yanko's trying to just not be chutzpahdik. Emalai. I would say there's no oath at all. Komash malan, Kavachaymer comes along to teach me this Kavachaymer. Come along to teach me this Kavachaymer, which is that even though the logic doesn't, the same logic of admission doesn't agree, doesn't apply to a witnesses, still, witnesses always create a stronger psak than admission. And if you're going to swear by admission on half, you're going to swear when witnesses come and obligate the half as well. Umay kavachaymer. So what is the kavachaymer? What's talking the logic here? So now I want everybody to get this clear because the rest of the Amud is going to be focused on this. We're going to, we're going to try to dig into Reb Chia's logic. Reb Chia's kavachaymer. So here we go. Umay kavachaymer. When Reb Chia said, I have a logic Logic dictating something to me, learnt out from admitting to witnesses. What is it? She so says like this. I'll tell you the logic. Uma piv, just like when somebody admits with his own mouth. She'ein mechayev mamen. 
it doesn't obligate you to pay money. What is it? We'll, we'll see soon what that means. It does obligate you to take an oath when you admit the half. Aidim, witnesses. Where as soon as witnesses show up, you got to pay, man. You got to open your bank account. How much more so should you be obligated to pay? Now, we don't have clarity yet, but let's just go through his statement. His statement of Ruchia is, when you admit to something, you don't have a financial obligation. But you do have an oath obligation. Hold on to see what that means. Witnesses that do create a financial obligation, how much more so should create an oath obligation? Says the Gemara, what are you talking about? My ad- when I admit to owe money, that doesn't create a financial obligation? Upiv, of mamon? Admitting to something doesn't create a financial obligation? The sages teach us, Chazal teach us, when one person admits, it's as if a hundred witnesses are coming against you. You said it with your own mouth. What do you mean there's no obligation to pay when the guy admits? Says the Gemara, no, 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 no. You know what I mean? I don't mean financial obligations. What I mean is a fine. My mammon, knas. We're dealing with a knas. The halacha is... If somebody admits to a knas, to a fine, you don't, you're off the hook. If you admit to a financial penalty, right? No, it's like this. Classic case. You break somebody's window and you come and admit that you broke the window. So let's pause for a minute. Let's say there's a rule from the, it's called the HOA, housing. What, what's it called when people live in like a development of, of homes? The homeowner's association. There's the HOA. person lives in HOA. What's the HOA? Um, if you uh, make noise after 10 p.m., there's a $200 penalty. Okay? So Yankel goes and he shatters. He's so angry at his neighbor. It's 11 o'clock at night. He throws a rock through his neighbor's window. Crash. Boom. So now Yankel is going to have to pay the money for the window as a financial penalty and $200 to the HOA for breaking the rules. Now the rule in the halacha is that if somebody admits to that fine, you don't have to pay. If you were to show up and you say, listen, I, you know, I, I did it and the, nobody caught you, right? but it's not, you know, the window of course you have to pay for. But kanas you don't when you admit on your own, the Gemara says. So the Gemara says like this. Here's the Kabbalah Chaymer of Abchia. Just like a person when he admits to a fine doesn't need to pay. But he still has to take an oath. How much more so when witnesses show up to a fine and you do need to pay, should they be able to create an oath? That's going to be Abchia's logic. So let's learn this inside. Just like when you admit something by yourself. You're not obligated to pay the penalty. But you do, you're still obligated to take an oath. Like when you admitted to part of a claim, you admitted you owed 50 out of the 100, the Torah obligates you on Shavuah. The witnesses come, how much more so should obligate you on Shavuah? Because when somebody admits to something, you're still obligated to bring a carbon. If I, if I admit that I sinned, I have to bring a sacrifice. Witnesses come and, t- and, and uh, testify against a person. 
that there's still not an obligation to bring a sacrifice. But according to your logic, Rebchia, every time when you admit you're obligated, witnesses should be able to institute that too. Why is it actually when I admit to a sin, do I need to bring a carbon? But when witnesses come and, uh, and uh, speak about a sin, there's no, uh, there's no obligation in carbon. Uh, in okay? So for example, witnesses come and claim that I ate something not kosher. And I claim I didn't. I claim I didn't. I don't have to bring a, a carbon sacrifice. But if I come and say I ate something not kosher, I will have to. So you see from over here, just because a person, when they admit, has to do something, doesn't always mean when witnesses come along that you have to do the same thing. It answers the Gemara, Halaikasha, there's no question over here. Could somebody quickly bring me two tissues? My, my nose is starting to run. You could be tissues, thank you. Halaikasha, there's no question over here. Harab Chia, Karebi Meir, Sviralei. We'll say that Rav Chia holds like Rav Meir. Why? Rav Meir actually holds that when witnesses come, you do have to bring a karban mikabachaymer. You will have to bring a sacrifice as well. Now, how do you see this opinion? The Tanam we learned in a Mishnah. Thank you so much, sweetie. The Tanam we learned in a Mishnah. Two people say to Yankel, Yankel, you ate forbidden fats. Okay? Now, Yankul's sitting there eating meat. And he's got some fat on his plate. And people are like, hey, Yankul, you know, you just ate treif. And Yankul's like, what? What? What do you mean? No, I didn't. What are you talking about? Rav Meir says you're obligated to bring a carbon. Bacham Pajim. Bacham say you don't have to. Amr, this would be, again, an unintentional sin. You thought it was kosher meat. Okay? Amra Ver, Ver says, If witnesses can obligate somebody to the death penalty, how much more so should they be able to obligate him and bring a sacrifice? Amrulai, the Cham said to him, What are you talking about? See, you, you only bring a carbon when it's an unintentional sin. What if the guy, what if two witnesses come to the guy and like, hey, you ate forbidden fats? And you know what your uncle says? I certainly knew that. He wouldn't have to bring a sacrifice. Because it wouldn't be an unintentional sin. And therefore, say there are voluntary of mayor, even you would agree in such a case, he's not obligated in a carbon. Hence, the witnesses in this case do not obligate him in a sacrifice. Okay? Now, let's pause for a minute. And let's go back to what we said before. Rebchia has a kavachayim. Rebchia has logic. What's his logic? If somebody admits to half, there's an obligation of a shvua. Certainly if witnesses say you have to pay half obligation to Shul. We challenged it. We said, ah, oh, by a sacrifice, it's not like that. And the Gemara answers, yes, it is. Because Reb follows the opinion of Reb Meir. Hence, Reb logic, if you use him consistently, will very much remain in place. Okay. Says the Gemara, What about one person who admits he's obligated to bring an Asham offering? When somebody admits on his own sin, you bring an awesome offering. When witnesses testify, you don't. So you see another case where on your own, you have a more strict halacha than if witnesses come. Says, you want to know Asham Hainu Karban. Asham, we could follow the same logic as a carbon, uh, a carbon chatas. Okay? Which is, again, what would Rav Meir say about an Asham offering? That you do need to bring an Asham offering when witnesses come. Okay, fine. 
But guess what? When you admit that you swore falsely, remember, what did we learn in Baba Kama? You have to add on a fifth. If witnesses come and say you swore falsely, you don't have to add a fifth. So you have another halacha where you, that you find when you admit just because you have to pay something doesn't mean when witnesses come, you got to do it. Yes, you do. He holds that even if witnesses come and say you swore falsely, you do have to add a fifth. Hence, we're sticking to our guns. Sticking to our guns. Rav is consistent with Rav Meir's approach. Says Gemara, I'll show you another halacha where admitting something comes out with a more chamer halacha than... A uh, than uh, when witnesses come, because by witnesses you have, but when a person admits, you have hakhasha or hazama. Hakhasha is if uh, if uh, uh, you have two witnesses that contradict each other, or you have a sentence, uh, a second set of witnesses that come and they and they uh, become adam zaymimim. What about by witnesses? They have they are capable of being contradicted or hazama, which means like this. See, witnesses could be argued on with hazama. A person a person's admission cannot be argued on, even when it argues on witnesses. Hence, says the Gemara, you find the time where admitting something gives you a stronger kayach, a stronger power than witnesses. Bottom line is, says the Gemara, what do you see from here? Admitting something sometimes could be stronger than even when witnesses show up. Incredible. Incredible. Says the Gemara, all right, we got to shift. We got to restart. Ella Asya Me'ed Echad. You're right. This that Reb learned out, an oath, and a Kavachaymer. When you admit the half, you got to take an oath. And when you, when you have witnesses obligating you in half, you got to take an oath. This that he learns it out, it's, it's actually sourced. The logic is from Eidachad. Uma Eidachad, just like when one witness comes to testify against a person, a single witness when he comes to Bezin does not create a financial penalty, but he does create an oath responsibility. When two witnesses come and obligate him in financial penalty, meaning if one witness that cannot enforce a financial payment can enforce an oath, two witnesses that do enforce a financial payment, how much more so should they enforce an oath when the person denies it? Says the Gemara, what do you mean? One second. See, when it comes to a single witness, this guy is going to swear about what was, what was testified about, top of tomorrow's daf. By two witnesses, he's swearing about that which he is denying. Which means like this. One witness comes and says, Tendler, you got to pay 50 bucks. I'm like, no. The luck is, I need to swear that I don't owe that 50 bucks. What if... Two witness, well, somebody claims 100, two witnesses come and obligate me in 50. If I have to take an oath, what is the oath on? The, the $50 that the witnesses are talking about? No, because that for sure I need to pay. What am I going to be swearing on? The other 50 bucks that they're not even talking about. Says the Gemara, you can't connect the two cases. Because again, by the single witness, 
What am I swearing about? The actual thing that he's testifying about. By the two witnesses, I'm going to be swearing on the remainder. Not what the, not what the witnesses are actually testifying about. El Amar Papa, Asim Gogol Shvua, De Erecha, Rebchiyaz Halacha, is learned out Gogol Shvua from Erecha, which means if a single witness comes and creates an obligation of oath, two witnesses uh, come, they, that, since they could create an, a, a financial obligation, they can create an oath on the additional amount that needs to be paid. Malagogu Shvua says, well, I don't understand. Malagogu Shvua Deirachad Shkein Shvua Gerer Shvua. By Gogu Shvua Veirachad, one oath obligates the other oath. Over here, there's no first oath because you have paying. There's no Gogu Shvua here. I'll tell you why. On the first fifty dollars, you're actually paying. You're not swearing. You know why you're paying? Because two witnesses said you got to pay the fifty bucks. What are you going to swear? What do you deny? On the other fifty bucks. Well, no oath was made on the first 50 bucks to even obligate the, the second 50 bucks. Okay, we're going to hold it here for today. We're going to go back a few lines tomorrow. We're really starting a, uh, another fascinating sugin. I'd like to spend a little more time on a lot of these concepts. The Gemara now is going to uh, really um, open us up to a whole world of oaths and how oaths come about. When oaths are applied, certain oaths that can lead to other oaths. For example, there's times where I'm not obligated to take an oath on something. But once I'm like on the stand, once I'm on the stand, can the person, you know, add something to the tab that otherwise he wouldn't have been able to do? Like with a Gilgush, a lot of fascinating halakhs. We're holding here for today. Best of tomorrow morning. We're going to pick up at 9.15 a.m. tomorrow after the 8.30 minute. Have a good tovach. Have a wonderful evening. Cover.